from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a rainy Friday evening in New York City. As always, very excited for tonight's episode. Uh, we're going to jump into what it's like to teach blockchain and cryptocurrency to, to young students who are hungry to learn. Uh, our guest tonight is managing partner at Lightning Capital and an adjunct professor, excuse me, professor at Baruch College here in New York City teaching cryptocurrencies and blockchains to the world's youth. I want to introduce you all to Charles Wong. Charles, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. Hey. Thanks for coming on. I know uh, I know you're a very busy man. I appreciate you taking some time out of your Friday night to join me. Um, we've got a lot to talk about today. And we actually have a new segment that we're going to add at the end of the podcast. So stick around for that. Um, before we jump into anything, I think we got to fix your mic set up here. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah. That's much better. Yeah. I know, I know you guys complain about the sound a lot, so I'm going to make sure it's it's as perfect as can be tonight. So, Charles, you've been teaching at Brew College. You've been teaching for how long there? How long have you been? One semester now. One semester. And uh, I want to thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me to come speak with your class last week. That was, uh, that was a very interesting experience for me. I hope I did okay. Yeah, I thought you did a great job. The students really enjoyed your talk. Yeah, that was the uh, the first time I've uh, ever talked to to a group of of students. It felt weird. I don't know if uh, I don't know if I'm I'm prepared to be a teacher, or I don't know how prepared was it. How prepared did I see seem? I I'd say it was a little mixed yeah. because you came out and you told them you weren't prepared, <laughs> <laughs> so they probably knew from that. But I would say um, I'll get you back in for another class next semester. Get you some more experience, yeah, and then you'll feel more comfortable with All the right. students. All right, I like that. Um, let's try this, Mike, because okay. you're coming in a little weird. Mike. Really? Yeah. All right. Check, 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 check. Oh, much better. A hundred times better. Okay. Um, yeah, I came in unprepared, but it was a uh, it was a good conversation. I feel it was a uh, very give and take Q and A like. That's the way I like to do it. That's the way I like to do this podcast. Yeah. What did you think of the students' questions? I thought they were good. I thought they were very curious asking really good questions and like the one thing i was actually very impressed with was how engaged they were like there was a lot of eyes on me there was only a couple students looking at their phone throughout like i remember when i was in college i would i would not pay attention most of the time but i think the subject is so captivating that your class in particular must have a high engagement rate oh for sure um i would say one it, it's limited to 30 students and so when they put this up on the on the course schedule it got filled up very quickly and there was a long wait list yeah and i had to deal with the drama of students trying to get into my class mm -hmm. and it, so it, being at baruch it's part of the cuny system and it's very bureaucratic and so there was no way for these students to get in yeah so on the first day of class i try to scare the students in some sense and telling them that this is going to require a lot of work this is an elective so if you're not going to take this class seriously, you're not going to come to class on time, then you might as well drop it and give another student a chance who does want to be in here. Did anybody uh, drop? No one dropped. Boss. Yeah. But people still are showing up late in class. So somehow I got to figure that part out. You only got three weeks left, right? The semester's not... Uh... Yeah, that's true. So I'm trying to figure it out for next semester. Okay. How to, I want to get the students fully engaged. And Brew comes from a unique background in the sense that... When you think about New York City, 
Baruch is New York City. Yeah. You're talking about immigrants from all walks of life coming to the school, coming from different backgrounds. And a lot of them, I would say majority, are not coming from privileged backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Typical immigrant family. So these are students who are struggling, who maybe their parents don't even speak English, and they're trying to make it in this country. Yeah. Living, trying to live the American dream. Yeah, it was a very, very diverse class. It yeah. Was, um, it was inspiring um, to see how engaged they were, how like how much they wanted to learn. And so how have you structured the class? Like, what's the curriculum been based around? Like, what was the, the syllabus like? Yeah, so the syllabus, the way I looked at it is I'm more focused on the business, regulatory, legal aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Not a lawyer, but I could talk on a high level about the regulations and legal aspects of what's going on in this field. Um, I would say that I'm not. I'm also not a technologist, so I couldn't go into depth of the level, the data structure of how Bitcoin works. Yeah. Um, but I can. What I can do is provide a high level explanation of that. And then, how does this all, this whole ecosystem work? Um, I think that's very important. And it this picks this whole cryptocurrency space is interesting because it has to utilize different parts of your brain. Yeah. Right, so you're like you're thinking about economics, you're thinking about game theory, you're thinking about uh, law, right? So you gotta be knowledgeable in all different aspects of it, and technology too, right? So uh, the most important part, and this is where it becomes very different than any other major, I would say, that you would pursue, mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I totally pursued this to try to educate students to look at it at different angles, and seeing how it all plays out and how is it relevant to them. Yeah, sort of giving them the tools to to learn more about this space. Exactly. And then I brought in, for people who who wanted to learn more in depth on the technology, I brought in guest speakers. You know, you I brought in you to talk about Bitcoin, right? But I also brought in Bitcoin Core developers, Ethereum Core developers. Um, today, we actually had Stuart Haber. I don't know if you know who he is. Refresh my memory. That name sounds very familiar, though. So Stuart is mentioned three times in the Bitcoin white paper, oh, in the footnotes. Wow. Really? Yeah. So he's like the inventor. If you if you want to, I would say you could call him as the inventor of blockchain. Really? Without he didn't call it blockchain at the time, mm -hmm. but he had a patent for timestamping. Um, he came up with all these ideas. It's really part of him and some other people early on in the '90s that came up with this idea that eventually it became Bitcoin and blockchain. So with the proof of work added to the time time stamping aspect, that was sort of the that's sort of the novelty of, of Bitcoin in particular. Of right? course, yeah. 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 So what is uh what was Stu saying today? What was that conversation? Like I had to I feel like it had to be uh leaps and bounds more interesting than my conversation. Well it's different, right? I would look at it <laughs> as a different perspective. Um it was very very much in the granular details of how data structure works, how Merkle trees work. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was good for those students who had much more knowledge about this space, right, in terms of the technical aspects. Yeah. Because the challenge I have in this class is it's, it's considered a CIS class, so computer information systems. But what I learned is not every student knows how to develop code. Um, and so some of these students, what they do well, I should take a step back. Some of these students are not even CIS majors that take my class. Mm -hmm. They're accounting majors. They're finance majors. Um, 
And so they're from all different backgrounds. So it's, it's a challenge for me to teach this class because of that. And so when I have to teach game theory, I have to take a step back and teach the fundamentals of big game theory. And then how does this tie into this space? Yeah. Right. So that, that's how I sort of approach it. And for some students, it might be easier when I teach that aspect for those econ majors. Mm -hmm. But for some, you know, they need that uh, foundation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what we talk a lot lot about on this podcast is just like the breadth of knowledge needed and i i feel like having to put together a syllabus to teach this class was an onerous uh endeavor oh it's definitely a challenge and after teaching it this semester this is my first semester teaching it i'm gonna revamp the syllabus mm -hmm. to make it even better yeah i think it's an iterative process right it, it definitely is what uh what do you think you're gonna change um i think i'm gonna add some more details from different areas. I haven't really thought this through yet, um, but even I think when you came in and talked about the history of money, mm -hmm. I want to delve into that more Yeah. Uh, so people understand that. Because I think one, one of the issues is, I was an econ major in undergrad, and I learned, I remember learning about fiat currency. Mm -hmm. And I never, at that moment, I was like, what are you talking about that U.S. dollars are worthless? Like, that's what my professor was telling us, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not backed by anything. Like, I knew that concept, but it took me a while to figure out that, oh, wait, the U.S. dollar really is just a piece of paper. <laughs> and we just believe that it's worth a dollar. And so everyone, since everyone believes that, then it's worth a dollar. Um, but that was a concept that took me some time to figure out. It takes everybody some time, right? Yeah. And then I think like, but then to leverage that, I think once I discovered Bitcoin, it took me a lot quicker to understand why Bitcoin's valuable. Right. Uh, but that I needed that foundation there. Mm -hmm. And without that foundation, I think it would have taken me a lot longer to understand Bitcoin's valuation. Yeah. No, I think similar story here, economics background. I think that helped me understand it a lot quicker than, than a lot of people um, was, was because of that fact. Uh so again, like trying to teach a class of of engineers economics before you can dive into to like the holistic view of cryptocurrencies again, an onerous task. Of I, course, yeah. I applaud you. Thank I applaud you. you for doing it. And I'll say, I, before I signed up for the class uh, late last year, and then Baruch started a cryptocurrency club, and I went to their first general interest meeting. Uh, sometime in December, if I remember. It's either November or December. I forget the exact date. Um, and there was so much interest. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was... I've never felt like if you walk in there, it's the feeling you get, the buzz of just everyone so excited about this space. Um, and I've never seen that before. While I was, I, so I, just to take a step back, I am a graduate of Baruch. I went to get my master's accountancy there. That's my sort of connection there. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I've never, and I've been to plenty of clubs at Baruch. I've never felt that buzz before in my life. And it was just a cool vibe. And when I talk to these students, they learn so much faster than I have learned in this space. And when I ask them, you know, how long have you been studying this? They're like three months or two months. And they just dive deep into it and they get this so much faster yeah it's uh i was on on the laptop doing some research right now think of a terence mckenna quote that, that that came to mind when um when you said like the feeling in the room that you got when you walked into that cryptocurrency club miles Souter, 
mentioned on this podcast many times in the past, has shared this quote on Twitter. I am looking for it right now. Give me a second here. All right. So here's the quote that uh, that you made that you brought to mind when you were talking about the vibe in that room. I don't know how many of you have ever had the privilege of being in a society in a pre-revolutionary situation, but the cafes stay open all night, and there's music in the streets, and you can breathe it, you can feel it, and you know when it's happening. The dominator is being push. Like that's the vibe you get whenever you go to a Bitcoin meeting. Like we go to the Bitcoin oh, yeah, meeting sure. here in New York. Like there's always like. It's crazy how packed they get and how engaged they are, like especially bit devs. Um, that's that's actually not where we met, but we see each other there a lot. Yeah, that's right. And, but it's always engaging. Everybody's like always like very engaged, and the conversation is always very lively. It feels like we're on the cusp of a res- revolution. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'll take a step back, and I traded through the whole dot com boom and bust, and I and I'll think. What I think about is, I don't know if you know the history of stock trading. so A little bit. So I don't know if you remember. There's something called SOS traders, so small order execution systems. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this was back in the day. If you think about the 80s, brokers used to rip people off because they could charge $1,000 commission fees. Mm-hmm. And then slowly, these online, um, what happened was SOS traders came about where these Orders essentially, market makers made such large spreads in trades. Yeah, and so the rules changed that allows some something called SOS traders, where they can get best execution. And eventually, what happened was there's a guy named Josh Levine, who believed that this should be fair for all people. Mm-hmm. We should not be ripping people off on commissions. Yeah, and so he created something called Island, and for every trade, he only charged a dollar, right, regardless of the size. And so it was revolutionary. And this is what caused change. Discount brokers start, started to come in. Yeah. And this is why when we go online to our brokerage systems, we pay like $5 a trade now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, we were tra- paying a couple hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and a large percentage of whatever. What did that do to liquidity with those? With oh, those yeah. So fees? This, this is interesting, did right? Did damper liquidity a lot? or With the fees? Well, with the high fees, yeah. I think so. I mean, I think the there wasn't much liquidity. I'm sure the spreads were very wide, right? I wasn't. I was way too young to even know, right? Yeah. Um, but what what I saw was obviously when trades got cheaper, liquidity increased. Mm-hmm. But eventually, this whole I mean, there's lots of books that talk about this. This is what eventually led to high frequency trading. Okay. Yeah. Right. To the bats exchange and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, with all these different ECNs, electronic communication networks. Mm-hmm. Um. And but what I find, if you, no one knows what happened to Josh Levine. I used to work at a firm that where he worked in one of these offices, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't really care about money, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Meaning like he could care less how much money he made. Yeah. He just wanted to change the world and make the world a fair place. Yeah. That was my impression whenever like people are talking about him. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, when I feel the buzz when we go to BitDevs, this is exactly what I feel. Nobody, the ones that come consistently that we see, right, yeah. all the time, they don't care about the money. They're caring. They're they want to change the world. At least that's the feeling I get from these guys. I I would concur. And I should say girls too, right? We yeah. have a few women that show up too. Um, but 
they're they're not in it. They could care less the Bitcoin price. Yeah. Right? We rarely talk about Bitcoin price. No, it's always very technical. Jay does an incredible job of moderating. Exactly. Keeping everybody on on path. Exactly. And and that's where I, that's where I think that's why I believe Bitcoin's going to do really well in this space. Mm-hmm. Because you have all these people that are dedicating their time to this and they're not some of them are not even getting paid for it, right? Um and that's that's why whenever I hear people hate on Bitcoin, I'm like you have no idea what's going on in this space. <laughs> right. Right. You you should just attend a BitDevs meetup and you'll realize like how great this is. Yeah. Because I love it, you know. I ha- I hate following prices. Granted, you know, I do it for a living, like I gotta do pay attention, right? Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is I love it when the Bitcoin price does go down. Because now you know who the true bi- diehard Bitcoiners are, mm-hmm. um, and the ones, and then the ones that go away, you know, they were just in it for price. They could care less about the technology, and this is what leads, you know, long-winded way leads me back to why I decided to teach at Baruch, because it got to the point where, whenever I went to different meetups, people started talking about price alone, and not about the technology itself. And they just, I felt my impression was, and it could be incorrect, that people just wanted to get rich quick. No, I have this very same impression. I stopped going to any other meetup in the city just because of that same that same problem. Like, you go, these people talk about vaporware, uh, a future promise of technology, and then most of the conversation would shift to the amount of value that could be taken over by the promise of that vaporware that had not been written in the code yet. That's right, yeah. And it's like, all right, what are we doing here? And... That's why I like the Bitcoin meetups that we go to is the Bitcoin meetup that we go to here in the cities because it's always very technical. It's not talking about vaporware. It's talking about things that are – we talk about pull requests. We go on the Bitcoin or the GitHub. The GitHub, yeah. GitHub.org slash Bitcoin uh, repository and look at the pull requests and talk about them and talk about what would happen if they get implemented, like what are the possibilities of them getting implemented, the, the changes to the protocol that would happen, who's working on them, what people are saying about the pull request, and – it's crazy. It's crazy to see this this system evolve in real time. Like that's the beauty of open source technology is that you get to watch it evolve right in front of your eyes. Of course, and no one can predict what's going to happen. No. no. Right? There's and that's why I I don't think the the debates that are out there are bad, right? It's good. I think it actually helps improve on the protocol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It's uh you got to vehement vehemently debate all this stuff i mean it's because again that's one thing i say a lot too is that nobody has any idea how this is going to pan out like we're all that's the other beauty of this space is that we're all discovering it together it's like of course yeah there's nobody with perfect information in this space there's no way there's no way one person's going to be able to bet everything that's going to happen with bitcoin in the next 10 years i would say the next 10 months yeah that's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) 10 weeks let alone yeah um yeah, so so you had Jay in to your class, right? Yeah, that's right. What uh, what what did he talk about when he was in? Yeah, so he talked about data structure, UTXO, and uh, Lightning Network. Yeah, what are your thoughts on Lightning Network? I I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still mixed about Bitcoin's ultimate use case yeah i have theories yeah but i don't know what will actually pan out what are your theories so one theory is i think 
it could replace gold altogether. Mm-hmm. Like significantly, right? Maybe not completely. I said altogether, but maybe not completely, but a significant portion of gold. Mm-hmm. And it's a much easier way to move money around. Yeah. Because it's borderless, right? If I wanted to move a million dollars worth of gold, it'd be very difficult. Yeah. Right? You, um, can't, you can't put that in a backpack. No. <laughs> but it could put a million dollars of Bitcoin in my backpack, right? You could put it in your brain. That's right. A brain wallet, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and you know, you bring up the brain wallet. I always wonder if you actually have the brain wallet and you're going through customs, do you have to declare if you have more than $10,000 worth of Bitcoin? I think you would be dumb if you did. (laughs) (laughs) But that, yeah. It's just a thought exercise, right? Right. I don't think you do. Like, even if you had, like, even if you had, like, a million dollars on a Coinbase account, I don't think you would have to declare that because it's technically on Bitcoin or Coinbase's servers, right? Yeah, that's what I think. Um, But if it's in a brain wallet, let's say you put on a hardware and then you put in cold storage, but you have the brain wallet, can, do you have to declare it? Yeah, you'd have to play stupid. Be like, I don't know my private key. Exactly. It's around somewhere. Like, I, I don't know that. Yeah. That's, that is a good one. Like, would you have to declare that? Like, and would they be able to retroactively punish you? Yeah, because in theory, out? if you go to another country, you could withdraw the Bitcoin off-ramp it in that country. <sighs> I've done that before. Okay. I... But actually, this is U.S. Virgin Islands, so I didn't cross okay, that Okay, all right. right. So I didn't go to another country. I went to another part of the world. It's in the U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, territory. Yep. Um, but yeah, I went on a trip. Spent uh, a little bit too much money uh, the first week. Had a couple, a couple more. Da- this was a few years ago. Had a couple more days on the trip and was strapped for cash. Luckily, had a Coinbase shift card and had written down a private key in one of my wallets and and just spun up a wallet and it moved some some bitcoin to my coinbase account and was able to spend money that was pretty that that's was, pretty cool actually that was right? an eye-opening thing yeah, yeah i just wrote it wrote it down on a piece of paper put it in my backpack just in case um and then showed up in the country ran out of money and was able to produce money basically out of thin air with a few words it's pretty smart that you brought that with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> Hopefully you weren't too drunk that you lost the private <laughs> key. No, that would have been terrible. Um, but it shows, like, I remember showing my cousin when I was down there, or my brother, I forget who it was. I was like, look, like I'm just going to produce, like, I have some money in a Bitcoin wallet. I'm going to spin up a wallet with these 24 words and move it to my Coinbase account and be able to spend money. Like, that's the beauty of the system. Man, that is pretty cool. I wish yeah. I was there to witness that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do not carry around private keys anymore, so don't try to rob me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, and I don't feel it. I feel like people have not grasped the gravity of how innovative that is. Just that, that fact alone. You can walk around the world with millions of dollars in your head. Yeah, so like, I don't even, the thing is people haven't used it. Right, so mm-hmm. one of the projects I had in my class was for everyone to get a Bitcoin wallet, and then I I moved my Bitcoin to them. Did you specify a type of wallet? I didn't. I I let them figure that part out. Yeah. A lot of them use blockchains wallet, mm-hmm. um, but I let them decide. Yeah. I I put them in groups. You know, they could talks amongst their classmates as to which one they picked. So blockchain was number one. What was behind it? Um, Anybody use Electrum? 
No one used Electrum. Really? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. No one, yeah, I'm trying to remember what was the, I remember blockchain being the top one. I can't remember what was the second one. That's a, uh, I would say that's, it is, and you didn't give them any direction. I watch. gave them nothing. So, damn, blockchain's got some good SEO out there. Yeah, they're doing well. Yeah, I don't know how great their wallet is, though, but. I haven't used it, so I wouldn't even know. I've never used it either, but I, and that's because I've been, been warned not to. Um, but for what reason? Just like blockchain doesn't have the best software, and they're not, they don't have the best priorities. And I'm pretty sure it's a web wallet, and that's like a, that's a, that's not the best way to secure your Bitcoin. Yeah, that's for sure. For five bucks, it's fine. Though. Right, right. Yeah. So I move, yeah, I move five dollars around, right, and. Yeah. It was a pretty cool experiment for the students to experience it, to understand how the fees work. Yeah. Um, and we did it at a great time, right? The fees were, I mean, I think we were paying five to ten cents for this transaction. Yeah. So these these kids were, maybe that five dollars returned to some money. Is it keeping in their wallet? That's right. I don't know. That, that that's. <laughs> you know what I what I did point out was because it's traceable, right? Yeah. I, I just followed how I try to trace it back to how they moved it in mm-hmm. and someone must have bought it from a colleague and they had a couple bitcoins like oh. i was like oh and i knew who the student was right and and i said you know if you trace the transactions on this you could tell there's a student here that knows someone that has a significant amount of bitcoins yeah that's pretty crazy yeah yeah and that's like so that's another good rabbit hole to dive down is like the privacy on the block like it's not as private as people think like a lot of people think there's an anonymous currency it's not it's completely that's right. traceable completely. and that's that's where the media has this all wrong right, right. um i think there's they're smart there's there are a couple smart reporters that get it right joe weisenthal shout out joe yeah at the stalwart on twitter from bloomberg he's very knowledgeable on the space and i think he's got a very level head and he's very uh objective and, and fair yeah i would say uh lauren shin too yeah. i mean she's very knowledgeable she has approached this really well and she's very fair too right and she'll call out people right like <laughs> yeah. that's what i love like she because there's some reporters i think they're they're afraid of ruffling the feathers and um because they're afraid they won't get the interview again right i, right? I get yeah. it um that's, but she, she'll call people out if they're not doing something right that's what you gotta do and you do yeah that's yeah. a great journalist right there when you do that yeah or you could go the route of just being like a, a newsletter rag where, where you don't care about your reputation. You can call out whoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, but that's, then there's a fine line where you become a troll. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I might be a troll. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Trolls are necessary to some extent. Yeah, they are. They keep people in check. They do. Shout out Kevin Pham. Um <laughs> <laughs> Um. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Well, that's a that's a good topic to jump into right now. Like Vitalik was calling out CoinDesk this week for for linking to a bad Omize Go or Omizi Go, um, right? Uh, like a a scam site. It yeah. seemed like a innocuous mistake. Like it seemed like an yeah. honest mistake by the journalist. And it was interesting that Vitalik was calling calling them out f- for. For that one incident. For that one incident, for scamming their readers when right. the network that he's built has scammed people out of mil- hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, right. the RC20 tokens with some of the ICOs. Not all of them. So Most of them. What I will say is, like, when it comes to journalists, right, is that we, we th- when we talk about incentive structures, right, uh-huh. the problem with it is that they're paid by clicks now. Yeah. So some of these 
some of these journalists are not paid well. And so for them to generate the clicks, they have to sensationalize it. And sometimes they'll throw in a little bit of, you know, not not Hyper- factual. Hyperbole? Yeah, hyperbole. Yeah, that's the right word. Hyperbole just to generate the readership, right? Yeah. Um, and so until we change that distribution model, we're going to get more and more fake news. That's a huge question. Is like, how do we change that distribution model? Is it possible? Do people want to pay for the content they're consuming? It's uh, that's that's the big question, right? Yeah, yeah. And really, that's where, if we could get back to the subscription model, then we'll get much better quality reporting. Yeah, right. It's just a matter of whether or not people want to pay for it. It seems like people don't. Like Wall, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I don't pay for it. Exactly. I'm I in the same boat, right? <laughs> I don't pay for it. Like. But the thing is, I wonder if we get to the point where the quality improves, will people start paying for it? Or are we all programmed that anything we get on the internet should be free? Well, I think so. I would argue so. But it's not free, and we're finding that out with Facebook and Google now. Oh, for sure. Our data gets sold. Like It may seem free, but uh, it's not. those companies are, are capitalizing on our data. This is why I'm not on Facebook, right? Because <laughs> I, I, I was afraid of that. Right. How long have you been on Facebook? Um, I have, I will say I have like a profile, but I keep it just, just because, um, to keep track of birthdays. Yeah. It's not birthdays, but more events. When I was in college, definitely need it. Right. When I was in grad school, that was the only way to like know about what events are happening. Um, and then my friends from, you know, other countries, it's the only way they reach out to me. Yeah. Um, they rather do that than email. Makes sense. Yeah. So this conversation is bringing up one of my favorite quotes from The Sovereign Individual, one of our favorite books on the Tales from the Crypt book club. I like it. In a world of artificial reality and instantaneous transmission of everything everywhere, integrity of judgment and the ability to distinguish the true from the false will be even more important. Like, so we're entering an age where readers and viewers of information and content need to be able to judge and discern for themselves what is real and what is not. And that is really hard. You have it's to be, very difficult. You have to be paying like a lot of attention. You have to have a, uh, like a, a grasp on the whole landscape, uh, all the variables that come into play, the topics that are talked about and written about. And it's going to be hard. Things are going to get weird. Like We're getting to a point where you can create videos and fake people talking and make it seem as if somebody said something that oh, yeah. it was completely not that. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point. A student shared a website where all you have to say is hello, and they can mimic the rest of your voice using different words. What? Yeah, I, I have to send this to you. <laughs> oh, my because God. Because it's, I mean, the implications of that is freaky, right? Yeah. I mean, you could you can literally make anyone say something, <laughs> and people will think it's real. Right? Right. Isn't that- so that's like that's where things get really trippy. Yeah, like you so, might not be able to know things for certain unless you heard them in person. Yeah, so it, it got even it it took a, me to another paranoid level because you can have prank callers call in to record your voice to say hello, and then they could like just run use with your, it. Yeah, run with it. I I don't know what they could do with it, but I mean, fuck. <laughs> God damn it's a scary it. world we live in now, and it's only gonna get. Uh, it's like beautiful and scary. It's a double-edged it sword. It is, it is. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, but it's great. I mean, we're living in an interesting time. Yeah. That's the, the age-old curse. The age-old curse. But you live in interesting time, times. Yeah. Um, 
No, but it's going to get weird. Like, you're not going to be able to know for certain that something happened unless you saw it in person. Oh, yeah, for sure, right? At, at some point, unless there's some way to cryptographically prove that somebody said something at some point. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that? Yeah, there might be some technology out there that can to do that. To hash that? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> to hash, like, the tones of your voice and... <laughs> Or maybe you have to have like private key management for speaking. Like you have to sign a private key every time. Oh you try right. To see, try to speak. <laughs> maybe I just found a found a way to get around this problem. There. You only speak like when you only speak in audio form. Like it's confirmed you when you sign a private key. That is key you. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Let's sidebar that. Talk about a potential business venture after the podcast. For sure. <laughs> it's like a KYC <laughs> version, right, of your voice, right? <laughs> Damn. That's some heavy shit, man. Like, just, yeah. Like, have you ever seen the videos of, like, George Bush, Barack Obama, like, people, like, mimicking them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Things it are, is weird. Things are going to get hairy. What's, like, the, uh, what's, like, the thing you're most paranoid about, like, outside of this conversation? You said your your paranoia went up a little bit. You're, so you're paranoid already. Oh, yeah. I mean, paranoid about everything, right? Like, paranoid about the security of Bitcoin, right? Um <laughs> I would say, you know, I'm very much, I, I'm doing this podcast, but very much very private life, right? Like, yeah. I don't want to be in the spotlight. Yeah, you're not on anyway. Twitter. No, I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I don't tweet out that much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more of under the radar. Look, I, I'm trying to, hopefully the way I, I live is like, I hope to one day be a positive influence on other people, right? Yeah. In a way where, hey, I hope, to become successful in this world and somehow give back to the world. Uh, but I never want the name recognition. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the way, S- sort of anonymous in some yeah. ways. Pseudonymous. Pseudonymous. Be a Satoshi in the philanthropy <laughs> world. <laughs> it's an honorable, it's an honorable uh, goal to strive for. You know? Yeah. So let's dive more into your background. What were you doing before you dove headfirst into crypto? We It's just Tales from the Crypt. We haven't gotten into your tale. Oh, yeah, that's How right. How did you find Bitcoin? Oh, yeah, I could... T- I could talk about that, um, and I'll I'll just say shout out to Blake who connected us, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I think he's having a baby soon. Yeah, Blake and Colleen, congrats. Yeah, congrats. Hopefully, you guys are listening to this. We'll be on the beach this summer. All right. Um, yeah. Shout out to Blake. Yeah. So you worked with Blake at Ernst and Young at EY. Yeah. Yeah. EY. Um, we were in the forensic account department. Um, so. Blake and I had an interesting project when we were down in Florida. It was during the summer, so I remember that he was going up every weekend to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had some good stories from there. Uh, that's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> and what uh, what specifically were you guys doing at EY? Uh, so forensic accounting, looking for fraud, anti-money laundering type of work. Um, so mainly, mainly focused on that um, mm-hmm. when I was there. Uh, I also did a quick couple months in value evaluation consultant mm-hmm. um so doing valuation work for different companies who had MA acquisitions yeah um i said mergers and acquisitions and for they were trying to value uh intangible assets yeah okay uh, so i did that and then even before that uh before i did that i was an equity trader mm-hmm. um and so i traded through the dot-com bus traded through the financial crisis eventually it got a little tougher yeah. Um, I, I'll give you an example. I'll, I'll date myself here <laughs> <laughs> and you'll realize how old I actually am. 
Um, you don't look like a day over 30. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I would say in 2000, when I started, we had like about 150 traders on the floor. Mm-hmm. In five years, uh, we only had like 20 traders. They turned into servers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just got tough, right? Yeah. It, it got significantly tough um, to make money. Eventually, I would say... Um, High frequency in 2008, it, it happened during the financial crisis that high frequency trading got significantly better. Yeah. Proved greatly. I remember when we traded in the early 2000s, we would see bots trading mm-hmm. and we'd take full advantage of them. You'd arm them. Yeah, for sure. We, we figured out their strategy, right? Yeah. But as it, uh, over time, they significantly improved. It really just it disintermediated my business, right? Yeah. yeah. And what I was doing. Well, Flash Boys really sort of pop the lid open on what these high freaks were doing like they were able to write algorithms where they could see somebody making a bid cut them in line make a oh, bid for sure. a fraction of a penny smaller or larger depending on which way they were trading and basically cut profits and so these high freaks were basically cutting people in line at the at the exchanges cutting like cutting cents like fractions of cents off that's right yeah millions and millions of times and just making crazy amount of money yeah it's like um was it is it office space where you like just collect fractions of a penny i mean that's my image right they had the wrong decimal place though they they got away with it because of the fire but the fire didn't happen oh yeah that's right But but yeah, I mean it's like it's like just vacuuming up pennies and those pennies add up to millions of dollars, yeah. if not billions, right? Yeah, getting rich by a thousand cuts. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. But hopefully, I think there's got uh, I think they've instilled not regulations, but uh, the uh, the industry has sort of created um, competitors for these exchanges that don't let people cut cut the. That's line. right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Flash Boys was all about. Michael Lewis, another book, add it to the book list. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. Michael Lewis always does a great job. Michael Lewis is, he's like an incredible writer, the way he tells stories. I mean, and his breadth of knowledge, too. It's crazy. Like, he wrote Moneyball, Liar's Poker, Big Short. My favorite is Boomerang. I think that's one of his most underrated books, which goes through uh, sort of the aftermath of 08 and go, right. goes around the world. Yeah, like, that one's a short one, right? Yeah, very short, but incredible. Like, yeah. the end of the book was like an oh shit moment where he's riding a bike through, I believe, LA or San Francisco with Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about like the CalPERS like, pension fund and how, how doomed it is like in the long run because of how much they're paying like sovereign pen or excuse me, uh, municipal pensions. Oh, I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Right? Because if you think about it is we're living longer. So mm-hmm. how are they paying that, right? Imagine, I, you know, my friends and I talk about this because, so I went to inner city school in uh, high school here in New York City. Yeah. And so some have gone off to do, you know, blue collar jobs, right? Mm-hmm. And one of our, one of my good friends, we were talking about, oh, you know, he was saying, if I, if, when I was 18 and I went to the New York NYPD, I'd be retired soon. <laughs> right. Right? Like you work 25 years and you'd be retired. And then, but, but the thing is like, how are they able to pay that pension, right? The pension and the medical benefits, um, eventually it's going to catch up to the cities and oh. they're not going to have enough money to pay. Oh. That's what scares me. Like Chicago's going through this, CalPERS is going through this, yep. Illinois is basically bankrupt, um, states in dire straits yeah. financially. And yeah, these pension funds are, for lack of a better word, screwed in the long run. Like you're depending on an inflow of capital 
that's not going to be there because people are, I mean, millennials, kids my age are loading themselves up with debt. So, and then they're graduating with a degree that only gets them a job that makes 40, 50 K a year and they're paying yeah. off their debt and there's not enough money to go into this, these pensions. Oh yeah, for sure. And this is where like, I mean, you, I may open up another can of worms here. It's like financial literacy is a passion project of mine mm-hmm. where like, I don't believe almost any debt is good debt, right? We're, we're, we're sold on this idea that student loans are good debt, right? Yeah. But if you go to school and you're paying a buttload of money and you're going to make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you might want to rethink what school you go to. Yeah, or going to school at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm of the, I like Peter Thiel's Thiel Fellowship, right? Where like he's encouraging students not to go to school. I don't think it's for everyone. So if you don't qualify, go to school, right? <laughs> but yeah. I would say um, for some exceptional people, they don't have to go to college anymore. Our times are changing. Changing rapidly. I mean, this is a topic we touch on every once in a while here is like, it's not for everybody. It's not. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Like, so. And that's why I caution it because I don't want your listeners to be like, oh, Marty and Charles told me to drop out of college, right? <laughs> no, that's it, not the message. I mean, not everyone needs to go to college. And there, I have a friend who's an electrician who does really well. Mm-hmm. And you never went to college, right? I, yeah, I came from like a blue collar suburb in of Philly, and a lot of the kids I grew up with and went to middle school with and high school, or not high school, but middle school with, went to trade schools. Yeah, and they're doing well. Yeah, they, they own houses, they have a good pension, they have a good, a good steady salary, and they're making good money. Like especially yeah. like electricians, plumbers, like people who are like. I don't know why some people look at those jobs as lowly, but they're very well-paying jobs. You're they working are. with your hands. You're you're doing work that's much needed in this economy, where a lot of societies has been pushed towards like this financialized world, where you're making basically gains off of, of balance sheet movements and stuff like that. Um, so it's good to to see sort of the reemergence of. I don't know if there's been a reemergence, but people should think more about trade schools and apprenticeships, especially if your passion is something like pottery or you like working with your hands. You know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, no. I think that's needed. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. We need plumbers, <laughs> electricians, contractors, right? Like, it's a special skill set that if you have it, you won't be out of a job. Ever. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's one thing, like, that's actually one thing I think about a lot, especially here in New York City with them about to start revamping the L. Like I saw a uh, a picture of it's a picture of the New York subway system and it basically had uh like marks of the last year that the subways had been upgraded like infrastructurally. And most recent is the second half subway on the upper east side finished a year ago, 2 years ago. And then before that, like 1968 1940s for most lines right like it's been a while like we and that's to, why we have so many problems with the subway system these right days. like yeah. we need to re like again like thinking long term like we need to we need to revamp like the plumbing of of these cities the major cities oh for sure yeah like one example i like to bring up uh of a city that did it well was chicago was afforded with a very i mean it was a very extremely unfortunate event but it afforded them the ability to rethink how they uh, architected the city, which was the Chicago fire. Yep. So the city burnt down and they were like, it was a tragedy, but they were able to be like, all right, so how, 
how was the city like what could we have improved what can we improve on in the city and one thing they instituted that i believe i mean it's impossible for new york to institute at this point unless the city burns down but they instituted alleys keep the trash off the sidewalks right yeah bring it into the alley Chicago is one of the cleanest cities I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. It's you mean you don't like the trash all lying around with the rats <laughs> hanging out at the corner? Oh, my God, dude. When I I lived on the Upper East Side on 2nd Ave, right across the street from where the 2nd Ave subway was being built. And at, like at our corner was a 2nd Ave the subway to be a stop. And it was where people would put their trash. I shit you not. If you walk past that corner, like after eleven thirty at night, there was hundreds, not dozens, hundreds of rats just climbing. Like it was, yeah. And at that point at night, like they're 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 brave. Like they'll oh, walk yeah. on the su- they'll walk on the sidewalk and they won't react to you. Like they'll act like they're part like they're part of like the flow of the sidewalk. Well, that's when you know there's something wrong because. They don't even react when you look at them. <laughs> right? I, I remember seeing a rat that looked at me like, "What are you looking at? <laughs> Keep moving!" Right? They don't. They don't run away from you. No, no. Especially at like, especially after midnight, there's something where like they just get this bravado. They're like, "Hey, yeah, this is my city too." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a New York City rat for you. And they're big, man. The, oh, they're massive. They're big. They scare me. <laughs> I don't like rats. Well, when you see thousands of them, it's freaky. Yeah. Oh, dude. Like my wife didn't. My wife didn't believe me. And then one night she was walking home. She was like, "Oh my god, that's the most insane, disgusting thing I've ever seen." We would actually in the summers, when it was too hot in the apartment, we'd crack the window. We'd actually laugh at people like walking down the street. We'd hear people screaming as rats were jumping out of them. You like, should have recorded that and put it on YouTube. <laughs> we should have. But like that was like you could literally hear people screaming as they walked down the street because rats were coming out of them. Right. So how do rats? We got oh. sidetracked, huh? Yeah. So that'll happen here. That'll happen here. The whiskey lets you go down go down a path. Um. Maybe that's a good segue into like. Sound money, and what I was talking about in your classroom, it'll incentivize very good investment. Yeah. So, so like, this is one thing I like to talk about is a reversion to sound money, which I think is a good thing and is needed in this time, will will lead to people making more wise investment decisions. Like, we're going to invest in infrastructure that's going to last. You know? Right. You know, like So one thing in Chicago that always pissed me off is that there was written into the contracts of the city that when they repaired the streets, they would only use mid-grade like gravel because they knew that the streets would get cut up again and they'd have to fix them again year after year after year, basically guaranteeing jobs. Right. So a very terrible investment strategy. Like Chicago, if they wanted to fix their streets, and they, all they had to do is dump a bunch of money and use like a high grade gravel or cement that would would not create potholes year after year after the snow and the salt, blah, blah, blah. Um, so in a world of sound money, I believe that people will make very wise investment decisions where they're only going to part with their Bitcoin when they know that the return on the investment is going to be worthwhile and it's going to last a long time. Right. I would make the argument that I think the problem is our society will still have both Bitcoin and US dollars, right? Yeah. And we're very much a society that we want we like to spend. 
We love conspicuous consumption. Oh, for sure, right? We love going into debt. We love having the latest gadgets. Um, and that's going to take a cultural shift. Because back to like student loans, right? I would make the argument that student loans is our version of slavery these days. It's indentured servitude, right? Right. Because you can't get out of them. Yeah, you can't get out, right? You want to declare bankruptcy? Go ahead. You still owe your student loans. And so it forces you to work. Um, and so that's why I think it's going to be hard. Like we need to somehow educate people more on finances. And then so then they start making sound decisions, even with fiat currency. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I hope, you know, I hope that we start teaching this more. Um, and people make better decisions with their money. Well, that's one thing I was almost embarrassed to admit a couple of episodes ago, but I've never had a credit card. I'm actually proud of that. That's good. I, I congratulate you on that. Thank you. Yeah, because yeah. I don't think we need debt, right? right? Like, And I think you're right. I think if people think about their decisions better, mm-hmm. they might not make the purchase that they wanted to purchase yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. See these pants I'm wearing? Yeah. It's one of two pairs of pants I own. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now my question is, how often do you do laundry? Once a week. Once okay. A week. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I keep them clean. Yeah. They're adorable. Yeah. Yeah. They look good. Yeah. You know, it's like the Steve Jobs Zuckerberg. You only need one look. Yeah, that's you know? right. You just keep it simple. Yeah. They you don't prob- have to think about it. They probably had multiple pairs of the same pant, but eh, right. I keep it simple. Just okay. One. Just one or two. That works. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry if uh, anybody in the barstool offices are getting bored of my attire, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I'm convinced no one will pay attention anyways. When I had to wear suits to work, I I joked, I was saying that one day I'm going to come in every day with the same suit and no one will notice. Did you ever do it? I didn't end up doing it. I did that in high school. I went to like a prep, prep school in high school and we had to wear jackets and ties and Every year I'd wear the same, the same one. Every day. Yeah. Just put it in my locker or the same damn. Jacket. So what I did do when I had to travel for EY, I only brought two suits for the week. Mm-hmm. So I just keep on changing them, alternating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone noticed. One in, one out. Yeah. Charles, I thought I, thought I saw you wearing that yesterday. Is that the same suit? Yeah. Nah, it's my other one. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be uh, funny if I just bought the same one too. Yeah. Um, so your experience at EY is a perfect segue into our new segment. Okay. Perfect. I think I think I'm gonna call this segment "Freak Questions." Freak Questions. So, you freaks out there, I've been getting hit up on Twitter like, "Hey, we'd like some audience questions addressed on the podcast." And finally, I got the kick in the ass I needed by my good friend, Mister Rogers, on on Twitter. He reached out. He DM'd me and said, "Hey, I have a couple questions. Would you mind answering them on the podcast?" So I think we're gonna call this segment "Freak Questions." So if you have any questions that you want to send the podcast, send them to martysbent at gmail.com. martysbent at gmail.com. I only use that for my newsletter. Um, so here we go. First question. So how do you see Bitcoin and crypto overcoming the energy demands to be a viable currency? Yeah, so... We're going to work through this together. All right. So I think uh, two words. Elon Musk. Yeah? <laughs> so part of it, yeah. So I think, I mean, there's, so I'll say one thing first is that I do think if you think about the way we talk about game theory earlier, mm-hmm. the 
the variable cost for any Bitcoin mining operation is electricity. Yeah. And so they're incentivized to look for the cheapest electricity. Mm -hmm. And that happens to be with green energy at this point. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the miners will congregate near those areas. Mm -hmm. And I think... A lot of those areas have excess capacity for electricity anyways. Yeah. So it actually helps our world in some ways because in a sense is they're using that excess capacity that would not be used anyways. Uh, so that that's part of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what you think about that. No. So to jump in on that, it, I completely agree. It's like these miners are going to go find the cheapest electricity to keep their costs low, obviously. And again, that is green energy, but... There's also f like fossil fuel and dirty energy per se that just gets wasted that is never used. So like for one example, when you're drilling oil and natural gas in Texas, there's a lot of uh, like when you're drilling and pumping the natural gas, there's a lot of like discharge that never gets used. It's just sent into the atmosphere. It's never stored. It's never actually used, but it is expended into the atmosphere. So what I've heard recently is that there's a lot of people in West Texas, specifically going to these Nat gas farms and basically being like, hey, we'll take that excess Nat, nat gas and use it to mine Bitcoin and we'll pay you a cent a kilowatt or something like that. Right. And Although, that's great, right? Because yeah. now you, you made it more efficient. Yeah. You made it more efficient. You you There's less waste. Less waste. Exactly. Less waste. And people are like, oh, it's using dirty energy. It's like that dirty energy was going to be sent into the atmosphere <laughs> anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like you might as well use it for something productive, which is creating one of the most secure financial networks in the history of man. Right. And I would argue that that is, uh, that is a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An admirable endeavor, you know? Yeah, it, for, for sure. So a lot of people like, like to say Bitcoin's destroying the environment. No, it's, it's taking energy that otherwise would have been wasted and putting it towards a productive use, which is creating censorship-resistant, peer-to-peer distributed transactions. Exactly. And, and so I'll get, I'll step into the next point that I wanted to make mm -hmm. um, with Elon Musk. Go for it. So what I think in the future, if he can execute what he plans to do, is it would be great if Solar City could put solar panels on all our homes, right? Because mm -hmm. I heard some people are already mining Bitcoin on their Teslas. So imagine... Yeah, in Germany. Yeah. So imagine if... We can he can even integrate the solar panels on the cars, and so every Tesla would have a Bitcoin mining machine. Every home would have a Bitcoin mining machine that has a solar panel. Right? Mm -hmm. um, this would decentralize the network even more. Right. right? Imagine every home U.S. home that has this. Yeah. Right. So I'm hoping Elon Musk does this quickly, um, so we can have a large mining operation in the U.S. Well, the margins on wind and solar in particular are dropping drastically, right? Like yeah. solar in particular is dropping to the point where it's going to become like very profitable. Yeah, that's what's great, right? Yeah. And I mean, with technology, everything gets cheaper over time. Yeah. Um, so it's a matter of time till this happens. Yeah. So the hardest part is storage, right? Storage right. and transportation. So if you have a, a solar panel on top of your car and you only have to store it on your car and transport it to the miner in your trunk. Yeah. Worth exactly. It. Worth it. Definitely worth it. Yeah. Right. Is that it? that's my future prediction. All right, so that was free question number one. We're off to a good start here. Um, I do see it being a viable currency, given the uh, the given the energy demands, and eventually we'll end up with Dyson spheres taking all the energy from stars in our universe. Um, second question: 
Is Bitcoin something that will only be successful if it is globally adopted? Can it succeed while fiat is still a large source of transactions? I think there's a place for, for both to work out. Yeah, I definitely think there's a place for both. There's no way that there's no place in my mind where I think Bitcoin's going to replace fiat currency. Fiat currency has its place in the world. Um, there's there's a part where I think what where Bitcoin comes in, it becomes a universal currency. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be great at the point where other countries start to adopt it more. Like Japan has adopted adopted it last year, right? Yeah. And I haven't been to Japan since they adopted it, but I think it'll be so cool when I travel to Japan, and I never have to convert to the yen. Yeah. And I could just use my Bitcoin. Yeah. Right to purchase things. Mm-hmm. Um, it would make my life so much easier. Right. I mean, there's certain countries where I have to deal with the exchange rate. It's a nightmare. Well, that's what um. Janie at Janie Gack, I believe I'm pronouncing that right on Twitter. She wrote a great medium post this week about um about uh the currency exchanges in Afghanistan. And basically when you get off the plate the flight uh in Afghanistan, you land, there's currency exchanges right outside the gate, like looking to exchange currencies. Like you have to exchange currencies immediately. And Bitcoin would be like an incredible incredible thing to just like be able to get off the plane and not have to do that. Yeah, you don't have to deal with that. And then also, like, I've seen, like, there's scams in other countries where they try to give you fake currency. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, you give them, like, a large denomination, and they swap it for a fake one, and then they tell you, oh, you gave me a fake one, and they give it back to you, right? Uh, The fake one. They give you the fake one, right? So, it's like, now you don't even have to deal with that crap. Yeah, you can cryptographically prove that your money's real. Yeah, exactly, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, so I think it'll take... I think the the key is we got to get more adoption in this, mm-hmm. um, and it'll take time. Yeah. I think I'm in no rush. I don't see this as oh, every, it's got to get adopted within the next year or two, right? No way. I see this as a couple decades mm-hmm. for this to get eventually really mass adoption, right? Permeate throughout the world. Yeah, for sure. And then the UI and UX um, improves tremendously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's to the point where I think. You've talked about this in other podcasts, in your other podcasts, is that, look, we we need our parents to be able to use this. Yeah. To send a Bitcoin right now is too cumbersome. Mm-hmm. There's no way they're going to do it. They're going to miss a character. And it's going to go into no no man's land. And burn it. It's going to go into the abyss. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that needs to go. It's going to take time. But in the meantime, they can definitely succeed side by side, fiat and crypto. I definitely think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be surprised if it doesn't. Question number two answered. Third free question of the podcast. Can you explain at a basic level what exactly a protocol is for cryptocurrency? Love to be able to share this with friends uh, if possible. So I think just like defining a protocol. What is a protocol? Yeah, so I the academic answer to this is more of it's the rules or requirements mm-hmm. of electronic communications network, right? Yeah. Um, and those rules are generally defined very clearly but through consensus you can change the rules right Mm -hmm. yeah um or in some protocols you don't need consensus right (laughs) no you just need social consensus that's right which is different um but yeah i mean that that basically governance it's it's like business logic right yeah when you get down to the nitty-gritty it's the code that dictates the rules of the system 
Exactly. And if you're not following the rules of the system, you're out of consensus and you're you're not in consensus with the protocol. That's right. And it all comes down to consensus. So basically a protocol is a set of rules that govern uh, what you're allowed and not allowed to do within a protocol. Yeah. Within a network. I would agree Excuse with that. Me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last one here. How do you think the U.S. government and other governments will handle taxation of revenue made f- from investing in cryptocurrencies? What about anti-money? Excuse me. What about anti-money laundering policies? And do you think governments will require some time uh, of reporting from crypto exchanges? I'm not sure I get the last part of that question, but we'll focus on the first two parts. How do we handle taxation? How are these countries going to handle taxation, and uh, what are they going to do about money laundering policies? I think I I get what the third part is asking, mm-hmm. so I'll try to tackle them all, okay, um, one by one. But I would say, and I think what they mean not by revenues but by profits, right? Like trading mm-hmm. profits. Yeah. Um, I would say, look, IRS needs to be clearer on how we can report this, right? Yeah. Um, especially the crypto to crypto transactions. Yeah. Um. Can we use LIFO for that, right? Last in, first out. Yeah. Um, ideally, right? Because if, if you're putting new money into it, you don't want to mark your Bitcoins to the first Bitcoin that you purchase, assuming that you bought it at a very low yeah. price, right? Maybe if you bought it the, at 20K. Yeah, then maybe, then maybe okay. use FIFO. Yeah, we'll use FIFO, right? <laughs> but if, if you bought it, you know, even a year ago, right? You'd yeah. be in the money. Yeah. Um, and so I think the IRS just needs to step forward. Mm-hmm. And clarify it. I think there's a part of me that thinks they're, they're extremely busy, right? They're they're they probably have way too much work. Yeah. Um, and they're probably not paid well, unfortunately, right? Yeah, government employees. Yeah, unfortunately, right? So so these are things where they need to come forward and either hopefully uh, what I think is categorize cryptocurrency in a new asset class. Mm-hmm. I would and, agree. Yeah, and create different rules around it. It could leverage off of existing rules. Mm-hmm. But they need to clarify on it because they, from people I talk to, right, people do want to pay their taxes. Yeah. Um. They just don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. They want to get. They don't want to get taken to the laundromat either. No. Yeah. You know, I so. mean, for sure, right? Um. And hopefully they they approach it the right way. That if they change the rules on us, that we do, they don't retroactively attack people, right? right? Yeah. That it becomes um it becomes like a going forward. That's this right. Is what we're gonna do. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely no clarity. Like, some states are are treating it as a currency, CFTC as a commodity, SEC yeah. as a security. Like, it's well, they all want to regulate it, right? Yeah. So yeah. they'll call it what they want, yeah. so they can <laughs> they could put their hands in the pie. Exactly, and that's the other thing. So let's dive into this. Like, is this? Do you think this asset class is definable? Do you think it can be controlled or or regulated? Well, so I don't know if "controls" the right word. Mm-hmm. But I think regulation's good. Um, I think when we think about the Dow hack, when we think about bad situations, right? With uh, even, did you see the Save Android um, ICO where the guy essentially he wrote he he on a page after the ICO he raised fifty million dollars, oh, yeah, yeah. right? Penis? Yeah, Is that the one. No, no, that's not the penis one. That's <laughs> no. the other one. But like <laughs> this one, he put a South Park. A photo up and he and the words uh, and it's gone oh yeah he just <laughs> he just bounced yeah but he came up it was actually a joke it was yeah, a pr yeah. stunt right yeah he took a picture in like the beaches of egypt or something like that. yeah exactly like, scammed you all yeah um but 
we need to protect our citizens in some ways, right? Um, mm-hmm. To to prevent these things from happening, yeah. and you know, sons like an ICO like Centra, right? Yeah, where it was a complete scam, um, and so regulation I don't think is bad. People make it sound like it's terrible, um, but it's not. It, look, they're trying to do their jobs. It's just a hard job that they have. Like, look, I wouldn't want to be in their position because I think it's hard to try to figure out how do you clearly define this for people yeah, um, and really think ahead about this, right? Because people will try to find loopholes in the system mm-hmm. and you got to make sure that they don't think that way, right? And they, there's no loopholes for them to take advantage of. Yeah. I'm going to get a little pushback here. I'm in favor of light regulation. I mean, it's probably in line with what you think as well. Yeah. Because, like, regulation is a slippery slope. Yeah, like, I mean... Like you, like you said, all these agencies are fighting to define what Bitcoin is so they can regulate it, like, so they can get a piece of the pie. And that's what you have to... Uh, that's one thing we have to worry about is regulatory capture. Exactly. Which, yeah. is, which is rampant and a problem that we have in our, in our current economy. But, but, you know, regulators also think about regulatory arbitrage. Okay. Right? I'm convinced they do think about this. Let's talk about regulatory arbitrage. Can we define it for the freaks out there? Yeah. So it's the idea that if if the regulation in the U.S., I'll use an example, right, to make it easier. Um, if the U.S. decides to ban Bitcoin, let's mm-hmm. go through the extreme, then there could be a flight, an exodus of talent in the Bitcoin space to or crypto space to another country that's uh-huh. friendlier. Yeah. Right? And so- Companies constantly think about this. Like, if the regulations come down hard, then people are going to leave the U.S. Um, and we don't want to lose that talent. No. We want to be the forward thinkers of this, right? We want Silicon Valley and, you know, Silicon Alley in New York City to be thriving. Yeah. To bring those smartest and brightest people here. Um, and so, that's why I think I think they're, they're going to come to to the point where it's going to be lightly regulated. Mm-hmm. Um, and not heavily regulated. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised. Uh, surprised about the uh, the Senate, the recent Senate hearings, specifically with the CFTC, um, because I think they did a really, really good job of being like, "Hey, this is definitely innovative technology. It's going to change the world. We don't exactly know what it is right now. Let's proceed with caution and not not handcuff this industry before it gets off the ground." Yeah, I agree. And and I'll sidetrack a little in that I think in China, right? China banned Bitcoin trading. Many times. Yeah, many times. <laughs> well, I think they're going to lift it again. Yeah. Right? Because they're, they're really smart about this too, right? They, they know, I think they banned it because they wanted to just stifle the growth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also realized that it went underground. Yeah. Like the, the citizens are smart, right? They're like, okay, you want to ban it off the exchanges? We'll find another way to trade, Yeah, right? And they figured it a w- another way out. Like WeChat apparently is the, the app to use to trade Bit- Bitcoin right now. Really? Um, In China, yeah. I didn't know that. And they're trading a significant sum, right? Really? Um, Yeah, so, so I think what they're going to do, and my prediction is sometime this year, is that they're going to lift the ban and they're going to institute all these rules mm-hmm. on how they're going to regulate this and how they're going to tax it because they want to make sure that the bitcoins are not leaving china into the us and people are not using it to buy real estate here yeah right because they don't want uh capital to leave the country yeah Yeah. well that's been like a huge problem for china like there's like a lot of like vancouver in particular right the vancouver real estate market a lot of people think it's chinese 
nationals hiding their capital in the real estate market in Vancouver. Yeah. And other markets, like here in- Yeah, New even York, in New York City, right? New York right? City, yeah. Yeah, like that one building- um, Time Warner Center? Yeah, on the edge of the park. Is that, yeah, Time yeah. Warner Center. Yeah. It's Just, uh, it's like vacant, basically. Yeah, they said like more than 50% is empty. Yeah, but it's all bought. Yeah. It's just people hiding capital in this building. Exactly. That's crazy. Like, yeah. Life finds a way. Like these people, people in general, not these people, I'm sorry. That was very rude of me. People in general are going to find a way to save as much money as possible. That's right. I mean, that's why a- Apple is domiciled in Ireland, right? Or at least they're- That's right. All their patents are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So all their patents are domiciled in Ireland for the tax benefits. Um, yeah. Funds go to the Cayman Islands, Puerto Rico to, to reap the tax benefits there. Um, and that's why there's this whole push to reduce the corporate tax rate, right? Yeah. So they start moving that those assets over here. Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit because a lot of people get pissed at corporations for not paying taxes, but as a capitalist, like you can't blame them. No, you can't blame them. It's no. a, I mean, if you if you put anyone in that situation where they had a business and they can do that, Every person would do the same thing. Yeah. Right? Like You owe it to your shareholders. Exactly. There's not one person, I think, that would be like, oh, I'll pay more taxes. Because if, if you're that person, you, I'm sure the government will take that donation right now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that's like the old saying, like, you're a liberal until you get your first paycheck. Like, I don't like getting taxes taken out of yeah. my paycheck. Like, but I will say, you know, in defense of taxes a little bit, and don't don't think, like, I love paying taxes, but- Look, it pays for the roads. It pays yeah. for the schools, right? There's, there's a, there's some a benefit that we get from it. Um, not all taxes are bad. I just think sometimes the government doesn't spend it efficiently. No, it over. I mean, most of it goes towards war and inefficient shit. Yeah. See, that's. I think that's the problem. Like Cardi B, Cardi B came, <laughs> came out swinging at swinging at the IRS. Oh, she I wanted saw to that. Know exactly where her taxes were going. That's the thing. It's like. I go back and forth. Like I, I would, I would say I trend towards the least amount of taxes possible. Ideally, none, and you you break up into smaller municipalities where you basically pay a fee for certain services. Like I think the government's gotten too big and it's too onerous, where it's basically just a huge entity sucking in capital from its citizens and then allocating that money terribly. Well, the, yeah, I, I mean, I think I agree with you on all these and these points is that one of the problems also is that no one takes ownership of the dollars that are spent. Right. Right. So, like, I mean, there's a joke around people I know who, who try to work with governments and they say, like, those are the best governments, the best client because they never complain. Right. They right? just take it. The contractors. <laughs> it's like when you go to war, the contractors line up. Yeah, Exactly. Right, they and I. I wish the government would take more ownership and responsibility of the dollars they're spending. Right, right, and complain when something's broken. Right, hey, we want a refund or or something like that. Right, and we're not doing that no. because no one no one takes real ownership of it. Yeah, because there's no accountability at the yeah. end of the day. How do you how do you hold the government accountable? I mean, you say vote people in and out, but we're yeah. coming to realize that. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah. You can vote a Democrat, a Republican, a TV reality star, and not much is going to change. <laughs> well, that's why I would I would love uh, the U.S. dollar to be on the blockchain, because yeah. then there'll be more transparency yeah. of how our dollars are spent. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if politicians would be in favor of that. I doubt it. I, yeah, I probably agree with you on that. Yeah, but I I encourage if anyone's listening who's a politician, I would 
encourage them to push for that, right? Yeah. And hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you stop being a psychopath, all right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was free questions. That was a good segment. I liked it. Yeah, that's good. We're going to keep this up. All right. Did we get the other parts of that question? <sighs> Taxation. Yeah, so we hit that. Anti-money laundering policies. And, this oh, is something you can talk about. Coming yeah, from an so auditing background. Coming from um, working at EY and AML. Um, I think this is important, right? It's an important point that people don't think about. Uh, we definitely don't want to encourage money laundering, right? No, uh, but let's preface the statement with a report actually came out this week. That 0.03% of Bitcoin transactions are used in illicit activity, including money laundering. I believe that, right? So the use case is very small right now. Yeah, I think it it more it happens more with the U.S. dollar, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, that's what like people are like. It's going to be used for money laundering. HSBC had teller windows perfectly sized for briefcases filled with cash, the U.S. dollar that yeah. Mexican cartels would use to to launder money into bank accounts at HSBC. Yeah, that's right. And they got a slap on the wrist. Yeah, see, that's that's the issue I have, right? Why are these banks just getting away with that? Right. And there's a part, when I talked in class about this, um, we had this discussion that all the banks think about thinking about this is that we know we're going to get a slap on the wrist. Let's pay the fine and just continue doing it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the cost of doing business. Exactly. And no one's going to jail. No. Like if you threaten the CEO of going to jail, maybe he'll really consider it, well, right? And that's where we get into regulatory capture. Like yeah. Maybe like when you get like too overburdened with regulations, like when the regulations dictate that you get a slap on the wrist for breaking them, like it makes it easy to to be a criminal or to do illegal things. Yeah. Under the guise of official bank work. Exactly. That's what's crazy. It's like. How many times does that have to happen before people completely lose faith in the banks? You know, like they were laundering billions, like they made, like they laundered billions of dollars, billions, hundreds of billions potentially for these drug cartels. I think they got like a, a couple hundred million dollar fine. Right. It's nothing. Like the profit they made on that deal was like well beyond that fine. Oh, for sure. It was basically a tax. But but yeah, it's essentially a tax, right? Yeah. Um, and I just don't know if how many people really will care in the end. Right, because we don't realize what the repercussions well, are. Well, you know, for money laundering, I think people right? are starting to care because you have people getting sent to jail for pot possession, possession of pot of a harmless plant. You know, people spending years to decades in prison for holding a small amount of marijuana, and yet these banks, which enabled the grand trade of this product, get a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right because I. Ho- because I like to see changes, right? Yeah. Where, you know, the media portrays Bitcoin as the one system that all the money launderers are using, which is not accurate. Not accurate at all. Um, and yet the banks are facilitating the money launderers, and we're not talking about that. Yeah. Um, that's where I think, you know, the fake news in some sense, like the, the media needs to start reporting this more accurately. Well, that's what I wrote about today. I was like... We need to get away from the two-party system. We need to get away from our dependence on cable news in particular. Like, we need to be having more conversations. That's why I love Twitter. I fucking pump Twitter so much on this podcast. Because you <laughs> but have, Twitter's, Twitter has its flaws, too, I would say. It definitely does. It definitely right. does. And nothing's without its flaws. But yeah. 
I believe you have the purest conversations and you get the most signal when you when you know how to filter and curate your Twitter feed. So can, that's the key, right? Filtering very, it. Yes, you can give we curate. Like I yeah. like to fancy myself a master curator on Twitter. <laughs> I'll have to follow your list then. You got to follow my list. All right. Very good list. Very A lot of competing views. Look at my crypto list on my Twitter account, at Marty Bent. Um, I've been building it for five or six years now, and I'll kick people off if they're if they're clogging the feed. Oh, I like that. All right. Um, competing views. I'm not, it's not like just all Bitcoin people. It's yeah. Ethereum, other shit coins, altcoin traders. Uh, it's good to listen to everything, right? You, you got to stay open-minded to this. You have to. You yeah. have to. You want com- you want as much information, as much signal as possible. For sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think you get that in the mainstream at all. You get what what you get a message that that they tailor to manipulate you in a certain way. I would argue. Oh, for sure. And and they have their biases, right? Mm-hmm. And this is something um, I teach a lot in my class. Is that be careful what you read. Yeah, because everyone has their bias, and you have to know what it is um, before you believe them completely. Yeah, and this is something with the newsletter. I have a bias, but I make that well known. Right, like Marty's bent. Yeah. Like the name of my newsletter <laughs> exactly. is the inclination of what I like. Right, like my the bent, the bent of the information that like I find uh, pertinent and what I agree with. It's literally what I found interesting. This is my bias. And what I think, what I do with the newsletter is like, hey, this is just how I'm seeing it, and this is how I'm dissecting it in my mind. This is my bias. Mm-hmm. You should have your own, and this is just something, my bias is something for you to riff off of. Yeah, and everyone has a different filter, right? Yeah. And so people don't think that when they're reading something online with, let's say, New York Times or Wall Street Journal, Yeah. every re- journalist is going to have some level of a bias. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to be able to, interpret that information correctly like one of the things that was pointed out was jp morgan called bitcoin a fraud earlier right last sometime last year right yeah and but he had his own agenda um did he really believe it was a fraud yeah jamie Dimon. yeah yeah i i don't know if he really thought that right i mean i think that the guy is really smart i think he really he knew what bitcoin could do to his business yeah um so maybe he was trying to shut it down by saying that to see how powerful he is right not um, powerful enough, Jamie. Well, he he did help his clients get Bitcoin cheap afterwards. So. <laughs> <laughs> he wins either way, right? Yeah, he wins either way. Yeah, his daughter owns Bitcoin too. He said. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So. That's the. Uh, and she probably bought more when it went down after his right? statements. As did I. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right, we're an hour and a half in here. Wow, that flew by. Right, it always does. Yeah. You want to do one more glass of whiskey? We'll dive sure. into this. Let's do it. What are we thinking? What do you want to talk about? Anything on your mind uh, topically that's going on in the space that you want to talk about in particular? Um, let me think. I can't think of anything right now. I mean, you had... We have... Is there anything on the list? Uh, we talked about mining. Yeah. We talked about your class... Uh, Bitcoin.com lawsuit. We've I don't been... even think I know the Bitcoin.com lawsuit. <laughs> How they're uh, spreading fake news about... It's not necessarily fake news. So this is one thing. Like I am under the belief that people just need to stop talking about Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin.com. You're just giving them 
free advertising basically at this point. So people are freaking out. For you freaks that don't know, Bitcoin.com uh, is an exchange as well. You can buy Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash there. And they're marketing Bitcoin Cash as Bitcoin. They're saying Bitcoin Cash is the true Bitcoin. And then so BCH is Bitcoin and BTC is Bitcoin Core, which is completely asinine. Like, so there's a huge lawsuit going on. There's a class action lawsuit. People are suing Bitcoin.com and Roger Burr for misleading investors. And I think they have a, I think they have a, a very good chance of winning this class action lawsuit because people are buying Bitcoin Cash, thinking it's Bitcoin, and then trying to use it at services, and it's obviously just getting sent to a dead wallet. Like, yeah. Um, so you that, realize like Roger Ver's ha- actually helping all the hodlers. Because <laughs> right? Bitcoins burning. get burned. Well, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin cash gets burned. So these people oh, are going. Oh, they're buying. The, oh, so he, it's actually spending, helping him. Yeah, they're thinking they're spending uh, Bitcoin and they're sending Bitcoin to cash to Bitcoin addresses. The guy's a genius. He's <sighs> definitely not dumb. Yeah. And, and you know what we could talk about? Because I actually think, I have the mindset that I think Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash will both survive. Let's dive into it. Why? Right. Because. I think it's gonna. So I think that's why there's this push with Roger Ver to try to confuse people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and tr- to try to get more people on Bitcoin Cash. But I think there there is gonna be two segments of the population where one will be comfortable using Bitcoin Cash and one will be comfortable using Bitcoin. Okay. Um, and it's almost like I mean this is not the best comparison, but it's almost like using. Using dollars and euros. Okay. Right? Where, for whatever reason, and this is where I think the whole point of educating the public and trying to get people, hey, Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. If he can convince enough people on that premise, he can get some sort of network effects through that. But but it's, it's illogical, and it's wrong, I would argue, because... Like so, let's talk about Bitcoin Cash is not Bitcoin. Like BTC is Bitcoin. Like then this is, we can get into the branding debate, but I'm talking right. like purely technical. Like if you sold Bitcoin Cash, you had you had to basically create a Bitcoin. Ca- like when Bitcoin Cash forked off the network to access that Bitcoin Cash, you had to create a new wallet on a new protocol to access it. And I did not have to do that with my Bitcoin. Like I did not have to change anything. I did not did not to split it. Like right. it was my Bitcoin, right. my wallet. I didn't have to move wallets or anything. To access your Bitcoin Cash, you had to create a Bitcoin Cash wallet and use your previous Bitcoin private key to access it. And it's a completely different coin. Like logically or um, semantically, it is a different protocol. It is an altcoin. And trying to overtake the Bitcoin name by brute forcing it over the media is immoral, I would argue. Right. I think it's it's not it's definitely a little tricky yeah. the way he approaches it, right? Um and there's definitely some level of customer confusion with it. Yeah. Um, for sure. Like it should not have Bitcoin in its name, right? In some sense. Mm-hmm. Um but I just wonder, and this this is where like, who knows where this is headed, right? That's the, yeah, it's the other thing. Nobody knows. 
Right. Yeah. No one really knows. But I do believe there's going to be a place where Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash will both survive. And what I'm talking about is like 10, 20 years out, right? I'm not talking about in the near term. Where some people may, for whatever reason, and I can't, like, I can't figure out why people use Litecoin, right? right? <laughs> like, I, 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 but there are people that are using it, right? Um, but eventually, some of these are going to, uh, I mean, majority of these are going to go away, right? I think. Um, well, some people believe blockchain will never die. You know? Well, I don't think blockchain will die, but. No, blockchain, like. Oh, coin, like, as long no, as I think these all coins, I think 95% of them are going to go away. I'm not as much as a. I know you're very much a Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah. Um, I'm of the I'm of the mindset that I think there's going to be a few that are going to be around. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that number is, uh, but I think they're going to have different use cases for it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, I, I don't know if I agree completely, but I would agree yeah. that there's going to be different use cases. But I think you can do that on different levels, like using Bitcoin as like the the protocol that you hash data into. Could be wrong. No, I think, so, I do think, you know, going to BitDevs and seeing what they're doing on Bitcoin, right? Yeah. There is that possibility. Yeah. There is that possibility that, hey, if they, they move um, in the right direction, and it doesn't have to be a first mover advantage, mm -hmm. it, they just have to produce a better product. Yeah. Um, if they could do that, I think, yes, we, we might get there, right? The, the most important part is the network effect. Yeah, the network effect is huge, right? Yeah, Bitcoin's got the best network effect right now yeah. by far. Yeah, for sure. And that's proven with hash rate. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So Bitcoin cash is, Bcash is trading at like, or not trading, is at like a 5x a hash a second. Right. And Bitcoin is at like 33. Oh, for sure. And that makes it the most secure network there yeah. is, right? Yeah. Um, and we also got to think about that Bitcoin is nine years old. Ethereum is like four, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And these are, I mean, if you want to count Bitcoin Cash is really less than a year old, right? Yeah. So it, it takes a lot of these, they have to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and the analogy I'll throw out is if we think about, the do, I'll bring the dot-com bubble again, right? <laughs> okay. um, I don't know if you like this analogy, but in terms of some thoughts on this is that if you look at, and I've taught this in class too, and if you look at 99, Barron's had this article called amazon.bomb i don't know if you've ever seen this mm -hmm. um and basically you could look this online because they still have it and essentially what it was talking about was how all the retailers in the country are going to disrupt amazon and realize amazon at that time was selling books right yeah um and amazon already was talking about their vision of like selling clothes and everything else right mm -hmm. that's hence the name the word amazon right that was the idea behind jeff bezos a little uh, a little tidbit here I saw today on Twitter. If you invested ten thousand dollars in Amazon's IPO, you'd have eight million dollars today. It's a pretty nice ROI. Very nice ROI. Yeah. So like, but I remember in '99, no one really thought Amazon was going to be the powerhouse it is today, mm -hmm. right? And that's is '99, so it's about twenty years ago, um, nineteen, right, to be precise, but. It shows you how long it took for Amazon to be where it is today. Yeah. And no one would have predicted it. No, but I, I feel like that's the, the view of Bitcoin right now, too. Is a lot of people are like, yep. it's going to get overtaken. It's the, it's the first iteration. Like, there's going to be better ones. Number one, that's not true. Uh, number two, uh, I think, the net, again, going back to network effects and hashing power in particular. Yeah. 
I think Bitcoin's going to win out. Yeah, I mean that's possible, right? Yeah. I I don't completely doubt it. I think that there is definitely that possibility. I, I like I said, I think that there might be other cryptos that do survive. Yes. Um, if they have the, I, the I, will, I will concede that possibility. Okay. I will not say I wholeheartedly believe in it. I will concede it's definitely a possibility. Okay. Where can we find out more about you? If you'd like to have more found out about you. Um, so I would say you can check out my Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Crypto Charles H. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way to follow me, although I haven't been tweeting that much. I'll admit that. Um, that's that's probably the easiest way to find me. Do you have any advice for the freaks out there? Hoddle. Hoddle. Right? That's the that's the best advice I can get. Give give to your uh, listeners. Well, that's uh, that advice has been given out many times on this podcast by many guests. I asked that, and that's been said probably at least four or five times. Yeah. Yeah. Think long term, right? This is yeah. 10, 20 years out. Time that's preference is key here. Yeah. Time preference is key. No more conspicuous consumption. Don't FOMO. No. No. Do not FOMO. Dollar cost average in. Be disciplined. Yeah. You can find more about me on Twitter, at Marty Bent. Subscribe to my newsletter, Marty's Bent. And if you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and share. We could really use the reviews. We could really use some five-star reviews on iTunes. We're trying to pump it up. All right? Um, Charles, thanks for joining us this week. Hey, thanks for having me. This was great. This was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, peace and love, freaks. Not to stumble home. (laughs) (laughs) This was awesome, man. It was fun, dude. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I love this. Yeah. Yeah.